You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry. And as always, before we get into this week's interview, I have to give it up for our sponsors, MailChimp, Hover, and Creative Market. MailChimp is the premier email service provider choice for entrepreneurs and small businesses. Join more than 7 million people who use MailChimp to design and send 500 million emails every day. Sign up for a free account at MailChimp.com. Need a new domain for your next project? Check out Hover. Each domain comes with free private domain registration, unlimited domain forwarding, and world-class customer support. Go ahead and grab yourself a domain today and use the promo code back to school and save 10% off your purchase. Creative Market sells graphics, fonts, themes, photos, and a whole lot more starting at only $2. They give away a selection of free goods every Monday. Of course, today is Monday. And they've got great bundle promotions every month. They actually just wrapped up their August big bundles. I hope you had a chance to check that out. And, you know, while you're at the Creative Market website, if you see something else that you like, make sure you use our special promo code, REVISIONPATH. You'll save 20% off your purchase. This episode is also sponsored by Jopwell. Now, there's been a lot of media surrounding the lack of diversity in technology. I think we have all seen or read this, right? Lots of tech companies have reported single-digit percentages of people of color in their workforces over the past year. Now, Jopwell, that's J-O-P as in Paul, W-E-L-L, is an online hiring platform for minorities that is aiming to change that. What Jopwell does is they connect black, Latino, and Native American professionals and students with companies for internships, full-time jobs, and other professional development opportunities. And these are some big, well-known companies that span a range of industries. I'm looking at the website right now. There's Facebook, Pinterest, Square, Etsy, BuzzFeed, McKinsey, Goldman Sachs, and so many others. So go ahead and take the first step to landing your dream job by signing up at jopwell.com forward slash share forward slash revision path. Again, that's jopwell.com forward slash share forward slash revision path. Remember that jopwell is spelled with a P as in Paul. In case you missed that, I'll have a link in the show notes where you can check that out. Speaking of that, don't forget to check out our audience survey. Just head over to revisionpath.com forward slash survey and fill that out. Everyone who submits a survey will be entered into a giveaway for a $100 Amazon.com gift card. Survey is going to close at the end of the month, so you got about a week uh, to get that done. So please don't wait till the last minute. I really need your feedback. Again, that's revisionpath.com forward slash survey. Here's our Patreon fundraising campaign update. All right, so we're still at 18 patrons right now for a combined total of $130 per month. Again, a huge thanks to all of you who have already pledged your support and appreciation for the show on Patreon. Can't thank you all enough. If you want to become a patron of Revision Path and get access to some great perks like special giveaways, early access to future episodes, or a monthly Google Hangout with me and other Revision Path supporters, head on over to patreon.com forward slash revision path and make that happen. Pledge level started just $1 per month. All right, now for this week's interview. I talked with Pamela Asogba. Pamela is a full stack engineer for Vox Media in Washington, D.C. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. My name is Pamela Asogba. 
I am a full-stack engineer at Vox Media. So my everyday consists of working on our code base, adding new features, and solving bugs. Now, when you say full-stack engineer, and this is for people that are listening, what exactly does that entail? What does that mean? So that means that I can work on the front end and the back end. So I can cover like the whole scope of our code base. So I can go from like HTML, CSS, and like making things look a certain way, and then I can go also in the back end, which means that I can like work on the functionality of the things and implement new features. Okay. What's it like working at Vox Media? I know it's a big company. It's growing, I think, tremendously. Tell me about what it's like working there. Working at Vox is great. It's a bunch of cool people. That's how I've always thought about it, even before applying. <laughs> so a lot of people have a lot going on on the side. They have a lot of projects. They're just very unique, very whimsical. So working with them is very inspiring. It's very encouraging because there's a lot of opportunities for you to grow. And everybody pushes you to try things outside of work. So like going to conferences, speaking at conferences, or organizing your own conferences or anything. So it's a company that values growth a lot, which I appreciate. So it's a lot of fun. That's nice. So you say they sort of encourage you to speak out at conferences and things like that. We were sort of talking before we were recording about how I first heard about you yes. from RubyConf. Was that your first conference? That was my first conference. And that was my first conference about web development. And kind of like a challenge to myself was to give a talk because public speaking is this big monster to me. So I gave this lightning talk about imposter syndrome and what I like to call newcomer syndrome, mm-hmm. which is kind of like this insecurity whenever you are new in a field or you're the new person in, like in a group, being afraid to ask questions, being afraid to show that you're new and that you don't know as much as everybody else. And I found that a lot of people at the conference felt the same way, but because we all had newcomer syndrome, nobody would actually voice that feeling. Ah. Yeah. Denise Jacobs, she's someone I know that speaks a lot about creativity and like the blocks to creativity and stuff. She said something recently in one of her emails that kind of resonated with me and is similar to what you're mentioning, like one trick to disarm that inner critic, that, you know, imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm is to remember what she calls the imposter syndrome paradox. And she says, it turns out that talented people are the ones who feel that they will be found out as a fraud. Mm -hmm. That means that if you're feeling like an imposter, then you are actually uniquely qualified. You will only experience imposter syndrome when you are competent and skilled. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which makes sense because, you know, like you said, it's that thing of feeling like you don't really know what you're doing or that you feel that you should be qualified for this. But in actuality, you probably know more than you think. Yeah, because, I mean, if you got there, it's for a reason. So you probably know a lot. And also what I learned is that if you don't know, it's hindering to yourself not asking those questions. So it is better to just kind of suck it up and just ask all the questions. Have you done any more conference speaking since then? I have not. I've been focusing on teaching more. So it's kind of like my background before I became a full-stack engineer at Vox. I took a 
boot camp at General Assembly. And then after graduating from that boot camp, I taught the same boot camp. So coming to Vox, I kind of stopped teaching and I wanted to challenge myself again and get back into it. So I got to do another gig at GA as a um, teaching assistant for front end web development. And now I'm looking at doing more of that with Girl Develop It and other meetups. What is it like teaching at General Assembly? Teaching is challenging. (laughs) (laughs) Teaching is challenging, but it's very rewarding. So GA is about empowering people, making sure people feel comfortable in the classroom environment. And also, they really value getting to the meat of the content and not wasting people's time. Mm -hmm. So it was a lot of projects, a lot of hands-on topics. So teaching at GA was very, very rewarding because whenever you get to explain something to people and then you see that light on their face when they get it or like when they make something, just that feeling that I helped you get there and this is amazing, you've made this, it was, it was great. Just for that, I could teach all the time. Well, I'd say it's probably a good testament to General Assembly's curriculum that you were able to go through the boot camp and then teach it right afterwards. Yeah, the curriculum is pretty strict. So what we taught and what I learned was Ruby on Rails, JavaScript, and HTML, CSS. They've changed the curriculum, so now it's more JavaScript heavy. But they make sure to cover all the bases, all the fundamentals, and all the topics, and like you know, all the things that you need to become a developer. So like for interviews, you're ready to do a whiteboard challenge. You're ready to answer all those questions. And you know what questions to ask. That's also very important. Yeah, so they make sure that you're ready. That's good. I know this was maybe a few months ago I had interviewed Sterling Smith, who's a CEO at Keystoke in Austin, Texas. And one of the things that we were talking about, and it's similar to what you just mentioned, is are these types of boot camp environments really good for putting people out there in the market to be able to compete and work at places? Or is it just kind of a churn and burn sort of thing? I think it really depends on the person because you kind of get what you put into it. So, yeah, you have to have this mentality that as a developer, all the answers are not given. You have to make sure that you look for things. Google is your best friend. You know, all developers will say that. So it's really about you going into that, knowing that you will learn the fundamentals, but you also have to put in more work to do more, learn more on your own. And even the projects that we all have to work on, it's really about you to make it even more amazing. Right. So like you go to the class, that's great. But if you don't do some extra work, you might not get, you know, what you need to actually work as a developer. Right. And I think it also probably helps that all the students that are there want to learn it. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so it's adult learning. Right. So as an adult, you kind of know what you want. I would hope so. You go in there knowing that you want to learn the skill because you want to get a job in it, you want to start a business, you want to make your own anything. So you have that motivation. You're there because you want to be there. What kind of advice would you give to someone that is kind of just starting out with web development? Have fun with it. So 
learning web development is frustrating. Even working as a web developer, it can get really frustrating. Um, some problems are very tricky, but remembering to have fun with it, to think of it as a big puzzle, I think is a great tip that I keep telling myself. So just have fun with it. You're just facing this giant fun puzzle that you get to build. How did you first get involved with web development? Was it just through General Assembly? No, this is a fun story. <laughs> so <laughs> I went to school for architecture. So I got my degree in architecture and it kind of exposed me to computers with uh, 3D modeling and animations and all that. But I knew that I didn't want to become an architect because I'm very into design, but I'm very impatient when it comes to design. So I like to make things and have them exist right away. So after getting my degree, I was thinking maybe I should go into fashion and go to fashion school. So I taught myself how to make clothes and then from then decided to make a blog to display my clothing. And then I built the blog. So I did some Codecademy stuff, some like HTML, CSS, JavaScript, and then built my blog. And then from that point on, I was like, oh my gosh, this is it. This is what I want to do. So luckily, I had a few friends that were backend developers. So they've exposed me to Ruby and a little bit of Python. So I started teaching myself that. And then I got to a point where I wanted to learn more, like have more leverage. And I looked into boot camps and found GA. That's quite a transition. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you find that there's any similarities between those fields? Like, do they, they kind of help influence your work now as a developer? Yes. So architecture is, you know, about problem solving. And it's really all about bringing something to completion, respecting deadlines, and also be creative, clearly. So as a developer, I find that it's really interesting to come up with different ways to solve a problem and then kind of like refactoring it all and coming up with a cleaner, a more efficient solution. And being in architecture really helped me when it comes to that. It's also, again, about solving that big puzzle, right? So like architecture, you have to think about all those different variables, all those different components to the problem. And it's the same with web development. What would you say are, let's say, three? Let's say, what are the three most important lessons that you've learned since you became a developer? Oh, wow. That is a good question. So the three <laughs> most important points. I would say, one, don't give up. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, that's a good one. I mean, because, you know, like you said, these are challenging problems. It can be easy to get bogged down. Yeah. With, you know, trying to solve them. Yeah. So I would say like one, two things, don't give up and have fun. Those would be the first like duo of things Two, be efficient. So don't waste your time worrying about things that might not even matter in the code, which I guess that works in life too. And three, <laughs> three, I would say be a team player slash don't like don't have a big ego like ego does not help at all and you're working on a team at vox how big is the team there 
We are now 84 people in the product team. Wow. Um, yeah, we're growing. We're growing really fast. What's a typical day like for you there? Well, so there are 84 people, but we're all divided into smaller teams. So right now the team I'm in is about, I want to say we're like four. It's four of us working on projects. So our day-to-days are pretty cool. So every morning we scrum. At 10 a.m. we all get together and kind of talk about what we've worked on and what we're going to work on for the day. And then we're all assigned you know, specific tickets, we get to work on that. And what's cool is that if I'm ever stuck or if I ever need someone to look at my code and make sure it's not too bad, I can just slack people, ping my teammates or ping anybody in the team and be like, hey, would you mind looking at this piece of code and you know, helping me with that? So it's a very helpful environment, very chill days. That's good. Would you say that it's a kind of a pretty inclusive culture as well? Yeah, very inclusive. We have this hackathon every year where we get to meet the whole team and kind of, you know, spend a week together and get to know each other. And we also have a lot of channels on Slack. And we find that they cover a wide range of topics. So... You can go on Slack and be like, hey, I'm into this weird sport that nobody knows. And chances are (laughs) somebody in the team will know about it and you can start a Slack channel about that. Yeah, so it's all about building community at Vox, which I think is really cool. What's the last thing that you built that was kind of just for fun? Well, I've been thinking about this fun app that could have been maybe one day a great business. But... So, you know, when you go to coffee shops and then there are no seats. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking about, I've started building this application that will tell people, hey, this coffee shop is packed. Don't bother coming. Maybe go to some other coffee shop. So that was something I've started building just for fun. Something on the side. (laughs) That would actually be really good. There's several locations here in Atlanta of the coffee shop, but it's called Octane. People in Atlanta, I'm sure, know about it. And the main location of Octane, the primary location, is always packed. Yeah. And oftentimes, you know, you go there and the main thing is like this ballet of trying to find a seat or somewhere you can sit because they've got tables and chairs, they've got couches, they've got desks, and they're all packed. Because a lot of people just go and you know, hang out there all day, but it can be really hard just to find somewhere to sit after you've gotten your drink or gotten your muffin or or whatever. So something like that, like just some kind of an indicator. So, you know, okay, this location is packed. Yeah. You might want to wait a while or something like that, because then what normally ends up happening when we go to Octane, you go and then you're just kind of standing there (laughs) for 10 minutes, you know, hoping that a spot opens up. And then a whole bunch of people rush to get to, you know what this I mean? This is so true. This is too real. Yeah. I mean, it's a totally a first world problem, but I think that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it fills a need though. I would totally use that app. So yeah, one day. <laughs> <laughs> what keeps you motivated and inspired? Recently, I found that, so educating myself about cultural issues is something that keeps me going. So like coming from West Africa and moving here, I've noticed I've been more aware when it comes to like racial issues. 
So now being part of the tech community, I'm more involved and more interested in learning about having diversity in our field. So I listen to podcasts. So I love Stacey Murray Ishmael. She's one of the people that keeps me going because she's amazing. People like Aminatou So and her podcast, Call Your Girlfriend, or Another Round with Heaven and Tracy. I love that show. Me too. Oh my gosh. So yeah, so people like that inspire me a lot and kind of keep me going because they're just really, really amazing. What are your thoughts about diversity in this industry? It could be better. <laughs> it could be much better. I like that I work at a company where it's a priority and we try to have more women and more people of color. But I think that the industry as a whole needs to make a better effort. I also think that it's important to target younger crowds and tell them, hey, it's okay, you're a young girl, you're a black young girl, you should totally look into STEM and, you know, become an engineer someday. So we should start at a younger age for it to become better later on. So I think right now the diversity problem is real, but if we focus on educating the younger generation, it might be fixed sooner rather than later. One thing that I see a lot of companies do, or I'm starting to see companies do, is fund these types of kind of pipeline programs that you're mentioning. I know Intel, I think, gave about $300 million to schools and to organizations. And Dreesen just recently gave, I think it was grants of $250,000 to two organizations that were helping to do, to foster technology in the LGBT space. So I think that's one kind of thing to do is to make sure that these types of programs and things are funded to make sure that we've just got more people coming in. Mm -hmm. What do you think can be done about what the culture is like now? Because I know that, you know, the thing with all of these pipeline programs is that that's really an investment in the future. Yeah. And it's going to take some time to see how that investment really plays out. Yeah. 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 I think one big problem right now is the programmer culture. Mm. Something needs to be done (laughs) to kind of eradicate it. But yeah, so that's a major problem that we're all dealing with. I think it's about either educating those programmers, those bros, or I don't know. It's a tough one because they're like, they have their clicks and it's kind of difficult to break it and implement more diversity in those clicks that are already pretty tight. Yeah. What I would like to see, because right now a lot of the startups that are making, you know, a lot of money that are being very, like, advertised, it's a lot of white men in the companies. So I would like to see more diverse companies funded, more of those companies, you know, put out there. So I think that would start a change. I've definitely started to see more talk around kind of the disparity as it relates to funding. They're specifically talking about VC funding, Mm -hmm. but just I think in funding as a whole for these types of companies, like you said, that are started by minorities because they end up often failing before they even really get a chance to get off the ground. And it's not necessarily because they don't have a good idea, 
but they often don't even have the funding just to kind of keep the lights on. You know what I yep. mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The programming culture is interesting to me in many ways. I went to an all-male college. I went to Morehouse College. Okay. And I started out as a computer science major. I ended up switching to math, but I still worked in and around the computer science department. And it was weird, that kind of odd, pervasive, like, broishness yeah. about it. And granted, I think part of that is because it was an all-male school, but it's also like, you know everyone else looks at you like you're a bunch of dorks, right? <laughs> like the business majors and the football team and the track team are not looking at you like, oh, wow, look at these cool guys. It's like, you sit behind a computer and code all day. Yeah. So I don't know if like the programmer culture is some sort of weird subversion of thinking, well, we're the ones in charge now, so we're going to act like the jocks or something it's like this weird revenge of the nerd sequel that's playing out but like you would think that being made fun of or whatever in the past would make you more considerate and make you more inclusive in theory theory. (laughs) (laughs) we would like to think that's the case that it would breed some kind of empathy but yeah the bro culture is very pervasive not just i think among just like programmers, but it also kind of extends out also a lot to design as well. Yeah. It's a lot of that same type of thing, probably not as broy, but certainly just as clickish. Really? Where it, you can feel like if you're not part of that, or, or even just like you said, trying to break into that, mm-hmm. it's a problem that it feels like it's something you have to break into. Like it's not a bank. You're not staging a heist. Yeah. You're a, you're a yeah. part of this of this community, of this culture. It shouldn't be something that is so, at least I don't feel like it's something that has to be so difficult to try to breach. Yeah. 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 Because it doesn't help the community as a whole grow if you have those kinds of, you know, kind of pervasive actions. So inclusiveness is really important because it would do a disservice to those people that are coming up through those channels. And then it's like, oh, well, the industry sucks. Yep. Like, why did I want to do this? I love to code, but yeah. these companies are, you know, terrible. Yes. Like, it's important to have people that look like you wherever you are, right? Yeah, those optics of just seeing that to let you know that the path is possible yes, really helps. And I think that's overlooked a lot because there's not really like some, or there may be a concrete study behind it, I'm not sure. But just the optics of being able to see yourself reflected in the career that you want to be a part of. Because mm-hmm. you can have all the drive and things like that, you know, in the world. I think that's great, but... Just having that kind of visual cue, that visual recognition is really, really, really important. Yep, I totally agree. Funny story, when I was a kid, my aunt got me a Barbie doll that was an architect. It was a black Barbie doll architect. Oh, nice. So that was kind of awesome. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) Have a visual. Yeah. So you mentioned you grew up in West Africa in Senegal, right? Yes. Were you in Dakar? Yeah, I grew up in Dakar. What was it like growing up there? It was very fun. It was very chill. That's really the only word I can use to describe it. I went to middle school and started high school there. It was very different from here, definitely. And I noticed that when I went back, after spending a lot of years here, that it was very community-oriented, very, very chill, yeah. But growing up here, well, spending time here, rather, and then going back, I've noticed how Americanized I've become. So In what ways? So here, 
we're all about our freedoms, right? And all about our, like, our rights and our, like, we can say whatever because it's our right. But going back there, you kind of go back to this very strong patriarchy. I feel like here it's more subtle. Like, there is a patriarchy and we're, like, fighting against it, but there it's very in-your-face. It's very traditional in terms of gender norms. And it's also a Muslim country. So there's a lot of things that you cannot do. Wow. So spending time here, I had forgotten about all those things. And then going back, I was kind of like, oh, I don't even remember living like this. But here it is. But not to say that it's not a really great country. Everybody's really nice there. Everybody's welcoming. But there's some work to be done, like in every other place. When was the last time you were back there? A few years ago. I went back a few years ago. It was very different in terms of infrastructure. They were building a lot of things. The country is developing very rapidly, which is cool. Creating jobs, you know. Does the car have a good tech scene? A good what? Tech scene, like technology. Oh, tech scene. It's growing, yeah. They are working on making a boot camp for web development. Oh, nice. Yeah, which I think is great. Yeah, my mom sent me an email about how they're looking for instructors. <laughs> so she was like, hey, Pam, maybe you want to apply for that. But yeah, so the tech scene is kind of booming. I'm hearing about people making applications, people starting their businesses that are tech-influenced. Yeah, it's getting there. Have you had any mentors that have really kind of helped you out along the way? I mean, it sounds like you've really had... This journey, I think, both literally and figuratively, who has helped you out to kind of keep you going throughout the years? So I mentioned that I have two good friends that are backend developers, and I happen to like we grew up together in Senegal, and now they're in Canada doing their thing. So having them as a connection was very helpful because they've introduced me to back-end languages, and whenever I need help or I need an advice, I know that I can, you know, reach out and get help from them. So they've been very helpful. Are there any other developers out there that you admire, like their work or the projects that they're working on? That's a good question. Well, I work with really smart people. So, like, our system engineers, I think, are amazing. So, like... I don't have like an idol when it comes to web development, but I have fields that I really am interested in. And then I look at people that are in those fields and I'm lucky to have a lot of those people at Vox. So the people in our system engineer team are amazing and I really want to be them when I grow up. So what programming languages are you really kind of working with the most? I think you spoke before about Ruby on Rails, about mm-hmm. about Python. Are those really kind of what you're working with a lot? Yeah, I work a lot with Ruby and Ruby on Rails. Okay. Yeah. And are those really, I guess I w- I mean, I'm assuming they are pretty popular as it relates to kind of building things on the web, right? Yes. So they are all back end. So they're all about functionality and our uh, publishing platform, uh, Chorus, is all Rails. So it's this massive 
application that we use to publish our content. What are some of your favorite kind of, I guess, apps and resources for web development? The reason I'm kind of asking a lot of these, you know, somewhat intro questions, I'm, I'm mostly a designer, but I've always been interested in trying to do a little bit more with backend stuff. I know just enough to be dangerous, like just enough to (laughs) probably bring your entire system down. (laughs) But but for people that want to know, how do I get started with coding? Because I feel like there's a lot of different resources and boot camps and, you know, self-guided courses and things of that nature. What are some of your favorite apps and resources? Well, I started with Codecademy. Okay. Uh, Codecademy was a good intro. Then I would advice looking at Ruby Monk, which is this tutorial that walks you through a lot of the Ruby fundamentals and gives you like fun problems to work on. And then the book that kind of changed the game for me was Learn to Program by Chris Bine. The writing is very friendly. It's very funny. It's not scary and it's very gradual. So it's not like those tutorial that teach you how to like do like one plus one on the terminal and then write this whole like tic-tac-toe program on the next page. So it's very gradual. It's very, it's very beginner friendly. So learn to program by Chris Pine was a very good one. If we ask the childhood you what you wanted to do, what do you think you would say? Oh my gosh. (laughs) What I wanted to do as an adult, Mm -hmm. I wanted to be a surgeon. (laughs) Do you think that's something you would do if you weren't into in web development? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> there, I don't know. I feel like there are so many things I want to do or learn. But I do think that web development is this one field that can take me to any other field. So who knows? Maybe I'll be a web developer uh, building or like some kind of developer building robots for surgeon you have a dream project that you'd love to work on? Not right now. I wouldn't say a dream project. Well, actually, working on something that will impact society in some positive way. It's very vague and cliche, but I'm always looking for things that challenge me personally, but that also impact that also like lead to positive change. Mm-hmm. So I like that I work at a place that educates people. I like that it educates me. So that's, you know, moving forward. That's really what I'm looking for. And also you're in DC. I feel like if there's any, <laughs> any city that you can be in to do things that would influence policy and stuff like that, DC is the place. Yes. Yes, it is. We're all about that. Are you active kind of in DC's, I guess, tech scene? I know you mentioned you're in, you know, an instructor at General Assembly. Are you doing other things, going to meetups, stuff like that? Not as much. I used to go to a lot of meetups where, so a lot of hands-on meetups where I get to code and help people. I'm looking at going to Girl Develop It to teach and help as much as I can. Yeah, this is as far as I'm involved. So going to meetups for women is something I enjoy. Where do you see yourself in, let's say, like the next five years or so? Like it's 2020. What are you working on? Whew. 2020. What is Pam doing? (laughs) 
ideally, I will have learned a new skill, more hardware-based, and I will be building something really cool that will help people in some amazing way. To be determined. To be determined. That makes sense. It's it's five years away. I get that. <laughs> yeah. Well, honestly, like I really want it to be hardware focused. So that's like my next goal: learning how to like actually build things, mm-hmm. and not just focus on the software. Have you thought about doing like programming things with the Raspberry Pi? I know that it, it you can do some things on yes. that. I believe with Python at the least. There might be other languages as well. I believe I can use Ruby too. I have a Raspberry Pi. I just don't know what to do with it. <laughs> so I have I've got how many do I have? I have 3. And what have you built? Yeah. So with the first one, I made a retro game console. Okay. <laughs> and so I've got it hooked up to my TV in the bedroom. So anytime I get that like hardcore fix for Super Mario World, it's right yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> the other two, I haven't decided what to do with yet. Because the first one that I got was like the very first Raspberry Pi. And the other two that I have are the new Raspberry Pi b plus where they have more usb ports and more memory and stuff one of them i did get a little touch screen for okay but i haven't decided what to do with it yet i'm still waiting for a good project to tackle i don't want to have three retro game consoles that doesn't make sense but <laughs> but i'm trying to decide what i want to do with it maybe i'll use that to kind of try to teach myself how to do some python or some back-end stuff but i know that there's i've seen a lot of different projects of things people do i've seen one person create bitcoin mining thing yeah, with it. yeah, yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of different projects i'm sure i don't know what i'll make with the other two but it's so affordable that i couldn't pass it up it's like oh it's 35 dollars for this little <laughs> like mini computer i'll find something you know to do, do with, with it. it yeah yeah i'm still waiting for that spark of inspiration to get me going, but it's it's like right here. I'm looking at it right now. I just don't know what to do with it. So just to kind of you know wrap things up, where can our audience find out more about you and your work online? You can find me on Twitter at Pam underscore Yam. That's where I post everything about me, about my work. And I'll be starting a blog soon, so stay tuned for that as well. All right. Sounds good. Well, Pamela Asogba, again, thank you so much for taking time out of your day, for talking to me not just about Vox and what you're doing at Vox, but about you and your journey to becoming a developer. So I'm really excited to kind of see what you'll have cooking up in the future. I'm sure we will all be anxious to hear about it. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And that's it for this week. Big thanks to Pamela Asogva, and of course, thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Pamela and her work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Thanks, as always, to our sponsors, MailChimp, Hover, and Creative Market. When it comes to email marketing, MailChimp makes it extremely simple. They have really great reporting and autoresponder features, and you can send 12,000 emails to 2,000 subscribers for free. No contracts and no credit card required. Check them out at MailChimp.com. Hover, of course, is the best way to buy and manage domain names, and they give you exactly what you need to get the job done. Get yourself a new domain or transfer your current domains to Hover, and you can save 10% off your first purchase by using the promo code BACKTOSCHOOL at checkout. 
And lastly, there's Creative Market, a marketplace that sells beautiful, ready-to-use design content from thousands of independent creators from around the globe. Head over to creativemarket.com and pick up those six free goods that are available for free every Monday. And if you see something else that you like, use our discount code REVISIONPATH and save 20% off your purchase. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro is by Music Man Dre with intro audio by Yellow Speaker. The outro audio, This Is My Take For You, is courtesy of Jimmy Square. Make sure you're subscribed to us on iTunes. Leave a rating and a review. It really helps us get new listeners, and I'll even read your review right here on the show. Thanks to everyone who has already rated and reviewed the show. We've got over 55 five-star reviews. Keep it up. Keep it up. We really need to see that. Of course, I also have to thank our sponsor, Jopwell. Like we said before at the top of the show, take the first step to landing your dream job by signing up at jopwell.com forward slash share forward slash revision path. Revision Path is a 318 media project. If you like the work we're doing with the podcast and the website, then visit our new home over at Patreon. Just go to patreon.com forward slash revision path and pledge your support. Pledge levels start at just $1 per month and you'll get access to behind the scenes information about the show, upcoming interviews, and so much more. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time.